Welcome to the Eco Interviews, where we amplify the voices of eco warriors from across the world. My name is Fiona Martin, and I started the Eco Interviews as a way to speak to people who are involved in tackling the climate crisis we find ourselves in. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite things compost. You've heard me talk about my home compost pile, and I've just started worm composting as well. But while composting at home works for some, it's not really a viable solution for all homeowners, apartment dwellers, and large facilities. That's where today's guest comes in. We're speaking to Christopher Templeton, operations manager and master composter at Resoil Compost in Elgin, South Carolina. Resoil Compost is the only class three commercial scale composting facility in the Midlands of South Carolina. They take commercial organics and food scraps and turn them into high quality STA certified compost soil. With the help of their parent company, Smart Recycling US, they collect food scraps from locations like the University of South Carolina, the Metropolitan Convention Center in Columbia, the National Advocacy Center at USC, some local schools, and more. This material that was going straight to the landfill is now feedstock for their compost operations. In this episode, I asked Chris more about commercial composting, how compost can divert 40 million tons of food waste from landfills and turn it into life-giving, carbon-sequestering compost. Why aren't we doing this already? We'll find out why in this interview. I hope it piques your interest in compost to either do it yourself at home or ask your local municipalities to integrate composting into their waste management plans. Happy composting. Okay, welcome. We're, we're with Christopher Templeton today from Resoil, which is a commercial compost facility in Elgin, South Carolina. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm excited to talk about compost. We have so much stuff to talk about, so this oh, is yeah. great. Um, Chris is the operations manager and a master composter at Resoil, a commercial composting facility in Elgin, South Carolina, and he serves Columbia, South Carolina metro area. So tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into commercial composting. Well, um, uh, we lived at, rolling backwards, lived at the beach for 27 years from the D.C. area and um, worked in retail pharmacy as a certified technician for 12, 13 years. And when we moved, I was looking for a job and found the opening on Facebook Marketplace, out of all places, mm-hmm. I didn't expect. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's I started in 2018, and the, the gentleman that had started the company trained me, and he had resigned, and and then in January of 2019, I took over as operations manager and went to a uh, uh, U.S. Composting Council. You know, they have a CCREF, the Composting Council Research and Education Fund or Foundation. Uh, they have a training course. It's a five-day training course. I'd gone and gotten my master composter certificate, and. Um, and since then just have been trying to improve everything at Resoil. You know, mm-hmm. got, I never thought you know, I would be able to do commercial composting as, and get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. I had always you know, had the leaf piles at home and we'd always used our own uh, you know, leaf compost or you know, kitchen scraps. My grandmother did it, you know, all the way back. We always had compost at home. So I got into it uh, when I saw that, and I was thrilled to get hired. And it, ever since then, it's just been, oh my gosh, I can't believe I get paid to do this. <laughs> so uh, no, it's it's been a, a crazy, wild, beautiful ride. Mm-hmm. It is, and I was like, I was super excited to find co- first of all commercial composting. So similar to you, um, I didn't grow up with composting, but my husband and I started composting in our our own yard maybe five years ago, and we have our hot pile, and then I've worm composting as oh, well, wonderful. and. 
And now we've got chickens on top of the compost pile, breaking that down. So we love compost, but the reality is not everyone is going to be able to compost in their backyard. So there has to be some sort of like large scale commercial composting service. And I was in a call and there's only three commercial composting facilities in South Carolina. And to find you, who's only nine miles away from me down the road in Elgin, was super exciting. So um, talk to us about what a commercial composting um operation is like where do you get your feedstock which is what goes into the compost that's Mm -hmm. a word i've learned how do you process it what's your final product and who who buys this from you or who uses it well there are many different ways to do commercial composting Um, our particular method is an asp or aerated static pile which can be positively or negatively aerated Um, we do a positive aeration where we force oxygen into it. We have a slightly indoor, we are in a steel aluminum building, so we have bays. Okay. Uh, we have six bays that are approximately about 10 feet wide and 40 foot long. And we have pipes. We have four inch PVC pipes that have holes drilled at specific intervals and specific sizes with blowers behind some walls. And we build compost piles up and the blowers on electrical timers or mechanical clock timers, you know, run the the blowers around the clock, you know, X number of minutes on and X number of minutes off in 30 minute cycles. And we force the oxygen into them and that's how the microbes get what they need because uh, when you introduce oxygen to the microbes, they start going crazy and that's how your compost pile heats up. from the activity of the microbes, the good beneficial microbes. Um, and of course that could go south and you could get bad stuff forming, you know, acidic you know, microbes, the ones that love the different kinds of fungus and whatnot. But anyway, we, uh, we have an aerated, and aerated static pile operation and within, you know, if everything goes right according to temperatures and turning the product and um, monitoring, a lot of monitoring, and testing, um, we uh, can have product ready from beginning to finish in 45 days. Wow. And there's a specific, uh, um, I have a spreadsheet that uh, we, you take, you know, test results from your feedstocks, like we test our wood chips, we test our food waste, we test our, you know, coffee beans and um, even dog food. We have a, a Mars pet care facility here in Columbia that okay. uh, is sustainable and, and brings product to us so um, there's certain ratios and whatnot and then you mix it you make sure it's thoroughly mixed right moisture content and right you know porosity or it's got fluffy airspace mm-hmm. um, bulk density and how much of it how, how heavy it is you want it you know precise numbers um, and then you put it into the bays and, and let the microbes go to work mm-hmm. I mean it's an absolutely beautiful thing and um, certain, you know, you go and turn it with a little skid steer and, and then after a you know, neighborhood of 15 to 30 days, we can actually take it and move it out. And you know, once the temperature comes down into a curing pile where it sits outside and the temperature continues to fall and drop off. And then we run it through a trommel screener, which separates out overs, um, as we call them, which is the, uh, big, big stuff, the big chunks of wood and, and everything else that doesn't go into the finished product Uh, and then we take the finished product and separate that and people from landscapers garden centers home users (laughs) um, the 
golf courses, you know, there's there's so many different benefits to compost, and even the DOT could use it. Um, erosion control, uh, biofiltration. You can you know filter out stormwater. Mm -hmm. um, build a berm and, and plant grasses and bamboo and uh, all kinds of uh, plants like that that love water and, and love to help soak up all the toxins and, and, and leachate, so, so to speak, mm -hmm. the, the product that comes off the cooking compost pile. But, but uh, yeah, we have an aerated static pile um, operation and uh, I am absolutely, absolutely in love with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you can get a finished product in 45 days, whereas, you know, a home composting setup, not only do you have to have the physical capabilities of like turning a pile, right? Exactly. I must say my husband does most of it, but, but the chickens have been helping so I can get more involved now because the chickens go through it like crazy. But, um, you know, it takes us a lot time, a longer, a lot longer time to have a finished product doing it in our backyard than it does for you to create one. Um, talk a little bit what I'm interested in as well is talk a little bit about right now what your current feed stock is like you said you're getting it from the Mars dog food plant um, I I'm sure you're getting it maybe from restaurants or larger facilities in Columbia yeah well under, under normal circumstances um, without the COVID pandemic um, we would have the we have a University of South Carolina we partner with smart recycling US which is based out of Charleston mm -hmm. we have Charleston we have Horry County and we have the Columbia area mm -hmm. and uh, we collect from USC mm -hmm. um, National Advocacy Center at USC uh, the Metropolitan Convention Center uh, you know a couple elementary schools in Lexington and Richland Five and uh, a private school downtown Heathwood Hall Episcopal mm -hmm. uh, School and uh, we collect you know food waste uh -huh. from them uh, which we give six you know, Smart Recycling has 64-gallon roll carts that look just like the ones you push to the curb. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them have compostable liners, compostable trash bags. Some of them don't. Uh, and then we collect them all. That's our food waste. We also have produce that comes in from a, a national uh, organization that collects it from grocery stores. And, uh, you know, they would bring it twice a week. It'd be produce that would almost look like it was fresh off the, the grocery store shelves and make you wonder why it was bad. But... They have their standards, but there's that. And then uh, coffee, coffee beans from Starbucks. I have a big mound out in the back. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, all different types of coffee from the whole process. So, And then wood chips. Wood chips is the big, big, big thing. And um, uh, we have, you know, when we have to buy them, we, we don't like to because of the cost in transporting. But um, we do have a couple local companies that come and drop off and we don't charge them when they're chipped. We don't charge them a tipping fee. Um, we just say, hey, you know, we need this stuff, you know, bring it on. And, you know, we, we're very fortunate to have companies locally like that that can come and do that. So basically you're looking at wood chips, coffee beans, uh, a little bit of dog food, and a lot of the, the food waste and the produce and um, in certain ratios and formulas and just, it makes a beautiful, beautiful, I, I would say organic, um, but I, I'm cautious of the word because of uh, organizations like Omri um, and uh, uh, whatnot, but I say it's organic based. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, and this, we're talking a lot about food waste. Um, and you're, you know, this is stuff that if it wasn't going to your compost facility, it would be going to? 
I would be going to a landfill and producing methane, which destroys the atmosphere. And uh, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but you know, approximately, um, you know, for instance, South Carolina DHEC has the Don't Waste Food SC program. Mm -hmm. Amazing people, amazing program. They're trying to cut food waste in half by 2030. Uh, and great people to work with. Um, mm -hmm. We are also ambassadors for them. Uh, they have um, some numbers that mm -hmm. I was able to pull off their website and mm -hmm. the toolkit they gave us that about each year up to about 40% of the food supply is, you know, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. is not consumed and that, you know, equates to what they say about $218 billion of loss annually every year. South Carolina alone, that's about 700,000 tons mm. um, as of 2017, I believe those numbers came from. That goes to the landfill, and you know, like I said, it creates the methane where it could go to a composting facility or needy families. Um, I mean, we have a food problem, food shortage problem in the U.S. There's people that are starving. Mm -hmm. So there is a uh, food hierarchy that you know composting is on they say they prefer to go to needy families mm -hmm. and then you know down the list somewhere is, is composting and you know where we can you know generate a product that goes back to the farmers and back to the food that would you know farmers grow for us so mm -hmm. um yeah it's kind of disturbing when you think about it going to the landfill when it could go to composting and not make all these dangerous greenhouse gases mm -hmm. um so uh yeah. Yeah, it's and it's, I mean, the food waste, 40% of our food going to waste to the mm -hmm. landfill is, is is shocking. Like you said, we have a, not everyone in this country is fed. There's a lot of people experiencing hunger and food insecurity. There's also things that are waste products that could be used. Like you said, wood chips, coffee grounds. Um, untreated pallets. Yeah, untreated pallets. Um, we have some breweries around here. Do you have any connections with the breweries for their mash? Not yet. Um, I have a part-time employee that unfortunately had a furlough temporarily. Um, he uh, used to uh, get some and that's what he fed his chickens. So mm -hmm. I'm working on trying to get that into it. I believe that is also, uh, it's very compostable, um, but I've, I've got a list on my computer of, of, of potential um, places to get all this food waste from. There's so many businesses, so many schools. I even want to start a residential program. Yes. You know, there's, there's many cities and many states that have you know, even small-scale micro-composters or micro-haulers. Mm -hmm. um, that could even go as far as riding around on bicycles collecting five-gallon buckets from homeowners. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, there's there's a couple hurdles in the way, and, you know, there's legislation is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to get people educated and aware of the problem and how we can fix it and, and getting all that taken care of in the state house is, is a big start. Um, but, you know... There's, there's residential collection possibly in our future, you know, for the city of Columbia. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't taken really any steps yet except, you know, trying to figure out how I can do this, uh, how we can get it all set up, and, and how you can also prevent the contamination. Um, people, you know, putting plastics, there are compostable plastics, but separating, source separating the plastics and the food waste and the trash mm -hmm. and making that easy for a collections route or or uh, 
whatnot to keep it out of the landfill. So mm-hmm. um, there's there's a lot of you know there's a lot of good things that I'm trying to work on all at one time, <laughs> and trying to make the compost product and keep up with the demand because with the pandemic, people are starting these victory gardens at home, and we sold out completely in March, mm-hmm. and I'm still trying to recover from that. Um, mm. But yeah, another note I had was about 3% of food waste diverted from landfills uh, compared to an overall re- recycling rate of about 34%. Yeah. It's, 3%. It, like, uh, I've said this on the podcast before, speaking about compost and waste, that once you start composting like, and you go somewhere where composting isn't available, it's just painful to put that banana peel in the trash can. Actually, where we're recording right now is uh, at my co-working space. And um, before the pandemic, I had a bucket and was trying to educate mm-hmm. people and move it into my own compost. But it's actually quite hard to do just as an individual with something with oh, those yeah. so many people. So mm-hmm. to find commercial composting that hopefully eventually actually allows uh, a more sort of industrial sized version of, of, you know, removing that waste and diverting it to compost instead of going to the landfill is, is pretty exciting. Oh yeah, talking to my colleague Megan that works for Smart Recycling yesterday, she's, she got a call of a lady who had moved into Mount Pleasant and was wanting a list of businesses and local places that supported that and composted and that's she'd do business specifically with them if at all possible mm-hmm. and it's it, it's just educating the consumer and then getting the lawmakers in the state house to realize that you know there are ways that we can do this i mean there are hurdles but we have to hash them out we have to have a game plan it's almost like writing a business plan um get you know, get get the regulations from other states you know mm-hmm. you know look into that research and then educate mm-hmm. and uh, you know like Vermont just passed a, a food waste ban uh, I believe it was when the beginning of the year is just I believe back in June maybe mm-hmm. I think it was maybe July 1st let's just say that okay. um, uh, food waste ban completely Cannot yeah go to the landfill that's and, amazing I mean, and then even here in Columbia I know South Carolina has a yard waste um, it might be Columbia, but I yeah. think it's statewide. It has a yard waste ban. That's why all the yard waste, you know, leaves, branches, mm-hmm. and whatnot, they put them out on the side of the road. Well, they'll collect them separately, and, you know, they have a ban that, you know, you can't take them to the landfill. So that's that leads right into what I was thinking about, is what are these uh, legal um roadblocks that we have me on a small scale like just as a person has struggled to for example get my hands on some of that yard waste right like i'm looking for wood chips i would love to um you know if the city is collecting this and chipping it uh and it's going to be different per by county i think in kershaw county they take it to the landfill even though they separate it out it's very confusing i know i went on my own journey and called Kershaw County people and and basically nobody could tell me this yeah. is clear that the system yeah it's clear <laughs> that the systems are not in place they're not used to let's call myself a consumer they're not used to someone calling up and asking for these things so you get someone on the other end of the line who doesn't know um, it's ingrained systems in place uh, I feel like you are going to know a lot more about this than I would so can you tell us some of the roadblocks that we currently have that because it seems like why don't we just yeah why don't we just like you know hey food waste send it to Chris at Resoil Right. So what, yeah. what are you finding is difficult? Um, what's difficult is, you know, number one, like we said, the legislation, the lawmakers not knowing what their options are. Okay. Number two, you know, what do they do with it? 
and how we can figure out an easier way for them to divert. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, you know, if they you go to the local recycling centers, you have a yard waste bin. Right. They take those and then wherever they, the county, whichever county, hauls them off to. I, I, I don't know. I don't think they know. I called and I said, can I go to the convenience center and yeah. take that? And they said, absolutely not. No. And I said, can I go to the landfill? And they said, no, you can't go to the landfill. So, I mean, it's, where does it go? <laughs> that's, that's a very good question. And if, you know, I could get in there even as a, a private, you know, entity, um, number one, those wood chip grinders, the horizontal tub grinders are hugely expensive. Uh-huh. Um, but if I could get access... I would take them day in and day out Mm -hmm. because it's a product. Now, obviously, if it was whole tree trunks and whole logs, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'd have to go through the the grinder, which reduces the size. And, you know, we would charge, you know, a less less of a tipping fee because it's more of a demand product. We we would use more of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So and then obviously a cost of operating the machines. I mean, we're talking about machines that are half a million dollars or more brand new. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are essential and you could use them for grinding feedstocks, reducing that particle size. It makes it easier and the composting process goes smoother. But, but wood chips are a hot commodity. You know, a lot of gardeners um, are wanting to do the back to Eden method, uh, mm-hmm. the lasagna gardening where it's, you know, cardboard and wood chips and you don't disturb the, the no-till method. And, mm-hmm. and that's a big component and, you know, finding good quality wood chips is is a tough one and to answer that about what the counties do with it I haven't had the time or the luxury to be able to investigate like I want to Mm -hmm. and and find out where they're taking it and how I could help them and reduce their cost of transporting or or what they do with it I, I it's an open mm-hmm. book, and you know, I wish I had all the answers to that, but I have some digging to do on that still yet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the quality, because it's something that I, when we talk about this search for wood chips, that uh, maybe people who haven't been on this journey uh, aren't aware of, is that um, you do have to be careful with the wood chips that you get, or the like even the mulch that you buy from the store, oh, yes. because, um, you know, the example I use is if these wood chips contained chips uh, utility poles. Those utility poles are soaked in, ca- yeah, soaked in carcinogenic yep. chemicals. You do not want that anywhere near you as a person, or definitely not on your garden for your flowers or your <laughs> vegetables. vegetables you exactly, eat. that's going straight into your body. So let's talk about um, you, uh, certified compost and the STA, and talking about keeping these contaminants out. And I have another example recently in North Carolina. A company traced back to McGill Compost sold contaminated compost, likely without their knowledge. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't. I would hope that a compost company would not purposely sell contaminated There's compost. No price, yeah. So, talk to us about what these certified compost, um, what what these labels mean, uh, the STA. How do composters like yourself try to mitigate contamination so that gardeners and farmers are not buying a product that may possibly stunt plant growth or, God forbid, add chemicals to their soil or, yeah, exactly, and Um, cause problems? First of all, we are proud soil builders. We are Mm -hmm. uh, proud members of the U.S. Composting Council, and uh, I just happen to be a member ambassador myself. Mm -hmm. Um, That happened and I got into learning about the STA program, which stands for Seal of Testing Assurance, okay. uh, which states basically that, you know, I have to meet uh, 
according to the, how much we produce, I have to test a certain frequency. It can be anywhere from monthly to, uh, we have to test quarterly based off of how much uh, we uh, produce. And we send off a compost sample every three months uh, from different batches, obviously. And there's a they go down to a specific way. They call it the TMEC, the method of examination of composting. Composting, I believe, is what the acronym is for. But the TMEC standard, where the STA program of the U.S. Composting Council certifies the labs to a certain high standard, and how that the products that we test for and and what the EPA limits are. Like for example, the 503 heavy metals. Um, the labs have to go by the certain uh, requirements, and then we have to meet or exceed those requirement, requirements. So um, the SDA program does wonderful things from advocating for us, and and they're trying. It's pretty much the gold standard of compost quality in the industry. Um, about McGill, uh, Gary Gatier, a wonderful guy. I he was part of the the people that taught us at the master composter class. I had the privilege of meeting him, and you know, as their sales and marketing manager, he was put into a tough spot when I couldn't even imagine getting those phone calls. But um, their product, and they're still looking into, I believe they're still looking into and waiting test results from where it could have come from. It's most likely came, coming from either tainted grasses. Uh -huh. um, like lawn clippings, if a you know, tree company or a landscaping company were to come in and cut grass that the herbicide was used on, um, then we wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. um, but there's manures. We're also talking about clopyrrolid. It's one of the persistent herbicides that even lasts through the composting process and then mm -hmm. even 18 months through. Mm -hmm. If the animal eats the grass, it goes through the animal's digestive system into the manure or into the bedding, and it you know, still through our process, the heat and, you know, the, what we call the PFRP, the process to further reduce pathogens, um, kills off salmonella and the fecal coliforms and the weed seeds, but this persistent herbicide gets in there, we don't know it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to really test your feedstocks, um, for, in, for instance, the wood chips. Um, and then you have to know the companies that, you know, drop them off or bring them to you. You know, do they use these products? Do the landscapers at these, you know, homeowners, you know, properties, do they use this? Um, so right now the EPA is looking for comments on uh, this specific one, clopyrrolid, and, uh, you know, there will be others. It, it's damaging to, you know, a lot of plants, peas, lettuces, uh, sunflowers even, uh, tomatoes, and, you know, it could be toxic to the plants at like one part per billion, I believe it is. Mm. But it's not toxic to mammals until you're talking into like parts per million. Yeah. So, you know, and unfortunately what happened with McGill, you know, it, it, it's, it breaks my heart, but um, they're assuming it's clopyrrolid, I believe. And they're tracing it to find out where it came from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to, keep those regulated and you know, EPA stepping in and we're, gonna, we're all commenting on it from the composting council because it's our voice and our product that depends on you know the regulations they come up with mm -hmm. but to, to 
keep that out of the composting cycle or you know even regulate who can use it and when specifically to use it and how mm-hmm. you know they can they could actually potentially potentially keep it out of the compost stream and you know hopefully put it you know not out of the watersheds the, yeah the, the groundwater and even the air and soil so uh, I, my heart goes out to McGill and I know that they're gonna work on it very diligently and, and uh, you know as far as we go we've knock on wood mm-hmm. uh, we, we have a pretty good relationship with the, the arborists that bring us um, chipped up wood we, we do test, and it's a completely different test um, for testing for the herbicides, but we have had a uh, good product, and I'm not just biased. I've, I've actually put it to the test at home to try and figure out where my weak spots are. So mm-hmm. I haven't had the, you know, the, I guess you could say the unfortunate privilege of, of uh, you know, killing my plants with it, but... Um, having a good relationship with with your uh, wood chip drop-offs and uh, knowing exactly what is is in it you know in the feedstock is is key you know and there's a lot that the composting council and the research foundation are doing to identify these persistent herbicides and to get the EPA to regulate them Um, Mm -hmm. so I mean my heart goes out to McGill, and that's yeah. unfortunate, but they'll fix it. With these persistent herbicides, it's a, it again makes me think about sometimes our as consumers, our short-sightedness as to what we're doing. We see an issue, we see a weed, and we buy a weed killer, and we put it on our lawn. Are these persistent herbicides in particular residential, or is it more agricultural, or is it just a mix? We don't it's, know. Oh, I know it's agriculture, and it could be the landscape companies that people hire to do their lawns. Mm-hmm. It could be off-the-shelf products. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any names, you know, right. off the top of my head, but the active ingredient with you know this particular one is clopyrrolid, and uh, as of right now, I believe the homeowner can go into any hardware store or, or big box, you know, hardware store and. You know, buy a uh, well. For instance, Roundup is glyphosate. Exactly, that's, that's Roundup's a, pers- a big, big boogeyman, right? It is, but glyphosate. Um, and don't quote me on this uh-huh. exactly. Um, I know from reading the label that glyphosate, you can actually, you know, kill off the weeds and grass in your garden spot, and then plant it a day later. Now there mm-hmm. are different types and different strengths, and uh, like you wouldn't want to use Roundup 365 because then it stays in the soil for a good year. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that there are ones that are safe for, and there's even you know home remedies like they have a, a horticultural uh, vinegar. Yeah, it's very dangerous to work with because it's super concentrated acetic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's very specific you know labeling that people need to to follow, and it could be from multiple sources. But I, I haven't looked at the labels off of products yet on the shelf that is available to the homeowner and you know it very well could be a mix of homeowners usage or um, landscaping services using it mm-hmm. and uh, it's just that's there's no way of telling you know what we would get you know right we have to we have to know the people and know where the source of the product comes from we we take grass clippings but we don't get any so mm-hmm. i'm fortunate that you know if you know if that were to be the case and somebody was to start bringing me a lot of grass clippings and i would start sending off some samples to try and um, figure out if we had any persistent herbicides that would make it through this composting process mm-hmm. um, so as far as contamination goes 
it's it's hard to tell unless you have those really good relationships and and express to them hey I, I can't have this it makes it through the composting process and into the finished product and can mm -hmm. be damaging yeah and I was just listening to my gardening teacher who was talking about um, in LA County they use human sewage in mm. their composting uh, and they give compost I understand they give compost away for free but the problem being that part of their composting is human sewage and something that comes through human sewage is all the pharmaceuticals that we're taking oh, yes. so that's another contaminant again oh, yes. I feel like it's uh, we've been maybe lulled into this um, we take something once or we spray something once and that's done with and the it's reality is there's it's not done with what we put into and, and you even mentioned as well um, animal manure especially I mm -hmm. imagine in large industrial agriculture uh, like CAFOs and stuff like that the uh, the amount of antibiotics that livestock are given just to stay well in those situations you wouldn't necessarily want that manure to go into your composting exactly. cycle unless you have an operation and I'm not too familiar with the, the on-farm uh, composting that exists like a dairy farm or you know a chicken farm I know chicken litter is very very you know it, it could burn your plants if you don't cook it properly but yeah. uh, you have to mix up the, uh, the the carbon source the browns and all that into mm -hmm. uh, and you have to cook it the uh, the proper amount of time to kill off the pathogens and like you said about the pharmaceuticals, I remember reading some years back that they had found Prozac in the city water supply in another city in South Carolina. Yay. And it's like, oh, no wonder why we were all happy or <laughs> depressed or whatnot. But, or, uh, but yeah, pharmaceuticals, I, you know, I haven't had to worry about that yet. <laughs> I hope it's not an issue with us and, mm -hmm. and the organic nature of our product. But um, even with the, uh, like you said, uh, the municipal, you know, bio sludges and bio solids, Biosolids is a completely different, separate part of composting, and they are compostable. Mm -hmm. And there are very, very strict rules and and stuff that go into play when you're talking about testing with biosolid, um, specifically municipal solid waste and, and human waste like that. Um, as far as our permit goes, we aren't allowed to take any kind of manures. Um, and then I was also mentioning to you before the show that there are commercial products available that are absolutely wonderful nitrogen slow release nitrogen sources um, that are great for your lawn um, mm -hmm. I use it four times a year on mine that mm -hmm. are made from a major city in the US and their human wastes but there are specific procedures and specific composting techniques that come into play to actually reduce those pathogens and to make it a safe product mm -hmm. it's just a matter of fact of trying to figure out the testing Right. what you're testing for and how to go about doing it all right so it's important reducing those pathogens <laughs> <laughs> well since i have a master composter in front of me can you like rewind it back and let's let's talk about or let, you talk to me about what goes into a compost pile we just mentioned browns and greens mm -hmm. and that's uh, like terminology that people who compost have a have an understanding of but let's talk let's pretend that our audience doesn't know what browns and greens are can you talk us through a compost pile and Carbon what that means Okay, so the browns are carbon, right? Exactly. And the greens are Leaves nitrogen. in the grasses, and uh, greens would have a higher nitrogen content, would be your vegetable rinds, your banana peels, um, and uh, all the kitchen scraps. Of course, you want to keep your meats and your fats and your oil, what we call fogs, fats, oil, grease. Um, they don't compost as, as well. They do compost, mm -hmm. but they also at the home 
they attract unwanted predators mm -hmm. and unwanted rodents and and uh, they can make it a really smelly process like we are a class three permanent facility we can accept um, certain amounts of pre-consumer raw meat okay um, it actually breaks down really fast in my understanding um, but uh, and DHEC also plays a role into that as well. You have to, you know, if there's certain quantities that will be coming regularly, you have to sort of let them know. But that's part of being a, a class three level um, permanent facility is that we can accept pre-consumer raw uncooked meat. Um, but at home, you don't want to do that as much. No, no. But browns and greens, yeah, that you, you know, as far as my suggestion is probably to have three parts of carbon or browns to one part of the food waste or greens. Um, there are many, many, many resources online, even the Composting Council. Uh, DHEC has uh, a lot of resources to uh, how to do a home composting pile and what's safe and what isn't. Uh, at home, you won't reach the temperatures quite like we will, like between mm -hmm. 137 and 173 is our sweet spot. Okay. Um, anything less than that, anything more than that, um, then it gets kind of either building the wrong type of microbes or at 180 degrees we look into going to turn it and potentially with the gases igniting and spontaneously combusting wow it, so i mean it's a very delicate time frame and with the temperatures and they call them thermophilic and mesophilic phases and and uh so it, if you don't have the right moisture content and the right ratio of browns to greens you know it can happen a lot slower or a lot quicker mm -hmm. and that's where i when i said earlier monitoring that's we monitor temperatures every day yeah every pile every day just to make sure that we don't run into a flashbang situation um mm -hmm. so you've, you've got to keep it keep it in line for commercial <laughs> yeah exactly whereas um, if my compost pile doesn't get hot enough it's really it's on me and it just it and tastes a little bit do at home oh my god yes <laughs> it's so hard I've known one person that has had a hard time keeping it low or getting it to drop oh wow and it's usually it usually has a lot to do with you know make sure your moisture content is mm -hmm. right grab a handful of it squeeze it if it's mm -hmm. like a wet sponge mm -hmm. you know you don't have any dripping water out your hand or undo it and it stays shaped mm -hmm. ideal 40 mm -hmm. to 60 percent moisture is where mm -hmm. we like it um but at home it's it's usually got to take a lot longer yes um and especially with leaves um depending like like i was talking yeah. before about the oak leaves it, they're so hard to break down and they have tannic acids in them mm -hmm. and, and uh whatnot so and they have to be chopped up yep you make them all similar size it's going to go quicker yeah um but yeah, it, it, there's a lot of resources out there from the composting council, and you, you could even you know shoot me an email and say, hey, how can I do this home composting? And and uh, there's a couple of resources. Obviously, I came unprepared with them right now at the moment. But, That's okay. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there um, available to me and to the consumer mm -hmm. for home composting, even through DHEC. Mm -hmm. Don't waste food program. Don't waste food. Yeah. Don't waste food SC don't waste food that's good um and so you know as we mentioned home, home composting is an option but it really isn't an option for everyone when it comes to like you know space if you live in an apartment you're likely oh, not yeah, going to have no. any the availability tumblers, in the yeah. tum yeah the the compost tumblers i don't know anyone who's really had success with them My sister no that's good it, it works but they're small exactly you know, and then you have to still supplement 
Um, so I get I get to people that have compost piles at home, but mm -hmm. they they come to me and say, "Hey, we need to add you know compost to it. What would you recommend?" And you know we have we have a, a, a words I have a word Microsoft Word. Uh, say document that we typed up as far as recommendations go and you can add it to your home compost pile and supplement yeah we do you, we do that enough exactly we don't make or it takes a long time so exactly. it came around to our growing season and if we hadn't turned the pile enough or added the right mixture then we don't have a prepared right compost exactly oh we don't have the right compost so i mean not only is it can it be difficult we don't want to dissuade anyone if they want to do a home, home oh, compost pile but you know no, no, no. also for example my parents who are elderly they're not going to be able to turn a home compost pile it's not going to happen so how far away are we in this area from having residential composting up I, you know as far as legislation goes I am not sure okay but I know that I have many resources at my fingertips at Resol uh, my advisors and bosses um, I have I have unlimited it feels like resources at the composting council that I can look into models that other states have done and it's just a matter of being able to you know look at the that what other states and, and municipalities have done and what South Carolina can do. As far as Columbia area, I think we're behind. Mm -hmm. As far as Horry County or you know, the beaches and Charleston County. And the upstate as well. We had Shelly Robbins on from upstate forever and she lives in Spartanburg and they, have, they have Atlas Organics, which she has, yeah, has her residential compost pickup. Yeah. So. They have a great program and Jim Davis who does their marketing and and Gary, who who started, was one of the founding members of Atlas, and you know, they're great people. But you know, in Columbia here, I feel like as a state capital, we're kind of behind the loop with sustainability and, and green business infrastructure, and and getting those people involved. It, it it takes a lot, and exactly how to go about you know what we want to do or what to suggest to lawmakers. Uh, I'm. I'm in the process, fingers crossed. I'm trying to start a South Carolina chapter of the U.S. Composting Council because each state could have their own that not all of them do. Um, I'm trying to get you know some, some things going in that department so we could get that presence and that support behind us to move forward with creating that legislation. Mm -hmm. and my advisor, um, Gary, he is on the board for the North Carolina Composting Council. He's been a master composter over 20 years, and um, he helped make some of the regulations that you know Composting Council sent to South Carolina uh, as far as permitting. Mm -hmm. So um, you know there there are loops and and uh, speed bumps to go over and hoops to hop through and whatnot. But I couldn't give you a time frame. I'd like it sooner rather than later, and yeah. you know, I've had people reach out to me and want uh, apartment dwellers or renters in Columbia um, to uh, compost with me, but it's on my to-do list yeah. with uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, just moving forward, I would like to just see Columbia catch up with the rest of the state. and. Do you How think? Do it? I don't know. Yeah, it yet. sounds like there is a bit of a demand, and so you know, part of what we we're talking about at the beginning was uh, consumer education. education. So, do you? I mean, 
it's on your list and understandably you're a one person operation <laughs> yeah, and right. that is a lot right there's there's just only so many hours in the day and the yeah. reality is you got to keep your product going or else there's nothing else that can be done but um, do you think there's more education needed to raise the demand because if we had an upswell of demand uh, from the consumer level would that nudge legislatures to look for solutions for that well, of course people people that vote or mm-hmm. people that have a voice uh, you know everybody has a voice mm-hmm. but you know writing to your your lawmakers in the state and federal level mm-hmm. um, but more so specifically in our situation the state writing to those people um, getting with the people like the Carolina Farm Stewardship Association sustainable Midlands okay. um, even Sunoco recycling great great companies and getting with the organizations that we could all sort of you know write those legislators write those lawmakers and say hey we need we need this we need to figure out this and you know that's part of what i'm trying to do is is educate people and let them know you know here's the problem the, mm-hmm. the x amount of food goes to the landfill it produces dangerous methane gas and it could be going to composting companies to help produce a soil product that helps go back into the food cycle, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, like you said, educating, you know, but writing those lawmakers and letting them know, hey, this is a real problem. You know, Columbia's behind it as far as, you know, the rest of the state goes. And, you know, I think we need to bring that up a notch. Mm-hmm. Get residential collecting or do a food waste ban or, you know, get local restaurants. I know down in Charleston, our you know, Smart Recycling has mm-hmm. several little restaurants, no matter how big or small, hotels, um, you know, no matter how big or small the organization is, if they have any kind of paper waste, I know Boeing was another one that was, you know, sending their cafeteria waste and even bathroom trash, like um, clean paper towels mm-hmm. you know, that were just used to wash your hands. Um, anything, that's a good carbon source, cardboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's so much that goes into feedstocks mm-hmm. that um, <laughs> you can even compost gypsum from plasterboard. Oh, okay, I'm like, what is gypsum? Yeah, plasterboard, like, <laughs> uh, drywall. Um, uh-huh. But you know, obviously, a certain amounts. But educating them on what is and what isn't compostable, and you know what can be done at home, and mm-hmm. how to do it, and how to supplement that. And then if you see a business, ask if they're composting. Recycling. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw on the way in here a recycling and trash bin. Yeah, have a compostable one right. Have a three bin system right beside it. That was Signage. my that was my bin, but <laughs> was it? <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, I've tried to do composting here, but as I mentioned, as one person, and this is a bigger facility, it's very hard to keep up with a comp like a five gallon bucket of compostable stuff. It's too it was too the frequency was too high for me to be able to take it back and forth to Lugoff, right? So, oh, of course. So then, that's where I, you know commercial composting facilities that have regular pickups that can come through and get it route. Yep. exactly. And the education was a huge one. I know that we had a composting bin here, and for a time it wasn't getting filled because I think people didn't know what to do so I just made I just did a little like like you said a word document with pictures and was like you know paper towels you know banana peels coffee ground anything from that coffee even the filter because we had the filter without the plastic yep go in there and by putting that sign up I had more than we could handle so we certainly need to get commercial composting here for sure that was Mm -hmm. that was not what I was expecting as far as the answer goes because 
it's like you can you can say hey you know we get everybody in the room we're going to start doing this and mm -hmm. and uh, they even make little two and a half gallon um, little small tabletop countertop uh -huh. type bins um, even with carbon filters built into them so you don't uh -huh. have the smell um, but they also even have the little compostable liners which are made out of like a, a vegetable oil starch sugar byproduct um, same as the uh, lunch school trays that are compostable lunch trays mm -hmm. made out of a sugar pulp or a uh, fiber of some kind that's that's compostable mm -hmm. um, that's only commercially compostable right there's yes. a big difference not, yeah you do not yeah. want to put a compostable trash bag or compostable liner as we call them into a home compost pile right so there again um, the need for a commercial compost is certainly exactly very high exactly yeah. and there are companies like biobag or eco safe zero waste that produce all these little plastic compostable clamshells and mm -hmm. to-go containers and cups and and uh and all that that you know commercial facilities would be able to take but the stuff is out there mm -hmm. yes it might cost a little bit more mm -hmm. but and then there's also the cost that's another hurdle is the cost of in, enlisting these services of say smart recycling or another food waste hauler or you know who, whomever mm -hmm. it, it costs money but mm -hmm. If you look at the cost of the, how much you pay in your trash bill, it could actually be reduced. Yeah. If you, depending on how that's that's worked out, you know, you could reduce the cost of how much you pay to dispose of trash, and supplement it with you know taking out what is in the trash that could be compostable, and switching that over to, hey, I'm going to pay less than landfill prices, which I believe is in the neighborhood of forty some dollars a ton, thirty forty dollars a ton. We take it way less, and that's because it goes into a sustainable means, mm -hmm. you know. And it's just it, again education and mm -hmm. getting those businesses. And they want to say, "Oh no, we don't want another bill for this or another bill for that." But look how it balances out. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, we'll give you this cart. We'll come around pick it up X number of days a week. It's based off of your needs. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's just getting. Getting the people to follow the, the signage mm -hmm. and uh, uh, not do the contamination with the glass and uh -huh. the, the uh, plastics that aren't compostable and the I can tell you how much forks I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the porcelain, you know, porcelain bowls and whatnot. I ran mm -hmm. over one with the skid steer the other day and it, you know, punctured the uh. the hole in the tire. So content that kind of contamination is a whole different ball game and a whole different level for us, but um, you know, that's stuff that you educate the consumer that actually puts it in there or at the back of the house in the kitchen in the restaurants mm -hmm. um, and getting them to not be lazy and throw them into the carts, then, you know, we really could have a, not only a great product, but compost companies can also sell mulch, mm -hmm. colored mulch. Uh, there are so many different blends, like a, a, a raised bed blend or a lawn blend or there's so many different formulas and so many different ideas I have that there are additives you can add to the compost to make it a finished product for a raised bed mm -hmm. or a specific mix for like blueberry farmers mm -hmm. um, who like more acidic soil yeah there's so many different things I have in mind and it's just you know getting everything where we want it at the same time and then doing the the legislative part it's it's a lot to take on and there's so much that we can do as as a society to help keep this planet going and mm -hmm. and not contribute to the greenhouse gases that right. destroy our atmosphere and and whatnot so there's so much to do and 
you know, support local businesses. Mm-hmm. Ask them, do they compost? Mm-hmm. If not, get their business card, send it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the resources. Um, or send it to another if, you know, you're in a different municipality and they have composting there, look at it. Look into what's available and and these people, there's so many resources. Mm-hmm. Don't waste food from DHEC and Department of Commerce and, you know, the U.S. Composting Council. Oh, my goodness. They have been amazing. Mm-hmm. They support us. We support them. And it's just, it's it's a partnership that I don't think I would have gotten this far without them yeah. or, you know, Smart Recycling behind me to, to do, do the food waste collection. And uh, I've been really fortunate. Good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about motivation uh, beyond just uh, re-diverting from the landfill is, you know, com- well, a few things off the top of my head. They say, or I've read, uh, you know, Dr. Zach Bush, MD, and, and other academics out there uh, say that we only have about 50 or 60 years of farming left on the soil that we have because mm-hmm. we have depleted the soil so much. And the yeah. reason we do that is we've tilled it. Uh, we've tilled the fertility completely out of it, which is why we have to pump the chemicals into the soil to be able to grow anything. Um, exactly. We have uh, erosion issues, which, you know, washes all the topsoil down the rivers. I mean, it's basically the dust bowl all over again. It washes it all into our oceans. We have dead spots, uh, you know, all over the um, Gulf of Mexico oh, yeah. where fish can't, nothing can live because everything has come downstream, all the chemicals and killed it. And so the compost is not just great for our home gardens, but composting oh, yeah, is a yeah. way to completely reverse this and, and, you know, push our ability to feed ourselves <laughs> for a whole That's new a generation. Thing. So, yeah. yeah. The Paris, I think it was the Paris Climate Court or, or something that feeding the world is becoming a bigger and bigger issue Mm -hmm. that's why they came out with those genetically modified plants to resist drought and to resist certain things Mm -hmm. and from what i know that their goal was to you know lessen the amount of chemicals that you apply to it but what's actually happened is that you're having to add more chemicals to it but you know you take compost it's great organic matter you know mm-hmm. it takes mother nature a hundred some years i think it's a hundred years to make one inch of topsoil mm-hmm. so everything you see in bags nowadays you know i and i don't know how how much you know percentage wise but it's mostly subsoil right which is not topsoil right yeah and it's not it does not have those those rich nutrients in it um, so you have to supplement it. You add compost to it. It adds not only those beneficial microorganisms and bacteria, but it adds the important micro and macronutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the MPKs, the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, that plants need calcium, magnesium, all these other things that you know we take as vitamins. Mm-hmm. Plants need them as well. Yeah. And um, it just cal- calcium, compost. Uh, it adds that organic matter back into the soil along with all those other nutrients. It's not a fertilizer, right? but it helps you use less fertilizer. Mm-hmm. It also helps you use less water. Mm-hmm. That's you a know, huge you one. To, you have to build that soil up. Like out where I am, it's all sand. Mm-hmm. And over by where the facility is, there's sand and sand clay. And yeah. there's just clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are ways to you know augment those soils, you know, clay to sand to get that good loam that you want. Um, and that soil pyramid and um, adding compost is a good way, like you said, with erosion control mm-hmm. and, and 
all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so it just, again, educating the consumer on what compost is and how you can use it. It's huge. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely huge. There's, the, the, I dare or challenge somebody to come to me and say, you know, hey, compost can be used for the, can't be used for this. I'll find a way. Mm -hmm. I'm, sh I'm sure there's a way compost can be used. You mm -hmm. know, <laughs> mm -hmm. anything. You know, stormwater management, erosion control. Yeah. Not just for gardens, lawns, and landscaping. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's a lot that can be done that is very underestimated and undervalued mm -hmm. um, but educating them is is a good source and a good start yeah the water the the drought and water issue is is interesting i've heard uh through my soil advocacy course a different take on drought being an issue and it's an issue but in the sense that we see we perceive drought as having not enough rain and not enough water yeah. but if the rain and water that we do have is running off because we have compacted the soil so much and we've tilled the soil we're not absorbing the natural the water in the natural way so by adding things like compost it's you know that loamy feeling the water lands in it and it soaks down into the groundwater i know soaks down into our groundwater replenishes our aquifers we have you know aquifers drying up all the time and becoming contaminated and it's just a very interesting way of thinking of it and uh and it's a positive a positive outlook on something that seems so bleak i think is oh, if we course. you know and it all it doesn't all start with compost but compost is a huge no, part no, of that right. <laughs> it doesn't all start with compost i mean if you ask me it know, does I, 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 it's my job it's my career path you know it it does all compost but uh you know it doesn't all start with compost it, it's a bunch of different variables um and, and compost is a good one because it's sustainable. Mm -hmm. It's natural and it's something that we take waste. Yeah. We take a waste stream that goes into the landfill and we turn it into a earthy smelling good soil amendment. Mm -hmm. You know, organic matter microbes and, and all these different you know, nutrients and can do anything from growing vegetables to growing your grass to you know preventing that erosion mm -hmm. and it's just so much that compost like i said compost can be used for so many different things and one of one of the important ones is is replenishing you know the depleted soils mm -hmm. um because it's not going to be around for you know we don't have a time frame but uh the need as the world's population gets bigger and bigger and bigger the need for these farmers to produce more and more and more and you know with devastating rains it ruins crops it causes the price inflation uh, inflation to go up and and it's just there's so much that you know if you just educated them get farmers to start using it get a flooding rain it you know that's another you know property of compost is to be able to absorb and and use water properly mm -hmm. um so I mean it it's pretty crazy that as humans we've gone so far away from the natural waste cycles because if you think about it you know as an ecosystem grows from its beginning these these waste systems were put in yeah. place that's how we thrive survived grew food and all that sort of stuff and somehow exactly. along the way we've completely extracted ourselves from a natural cycle and and turned it into something different wetlands you know, yeah bioremediation bio you could actually use compost in uh, contaminated soil. Uh huh. You know, the big thing right now is also carbon sequestration. Yes. 
they're doing a lot of studies um, because they're finding out that you know plants need carbon. Yep. Uh, compost has carbon. Mm -hmm. um, put carbon into a, a, an agriculture field that you know has you know, a crop of whatever growing into it. The plants will actually pull the carbon out of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Part of the Kiss the Ground book that I was reading, uh, great book for so far, um, <laughs> comes very highly recommended by many people in yeah. the compost industry. They um, point out that if we were to reduce um, the amount of carbon you know, pulled from the atmosphere, like 0.4%, I think it was, mm -hmm. we could actually mitigate how many gigatons of carbon that the human race has put in the atmosphere. Yeah. And I think, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood when it was written, I think they were saying about 850 gigatons of carbon has been put in since, you know, 10,000 some years or however many years since the human race had been around. 350 gigatons of that had been since 1980. Yeah, it's pretty scary. And here, just by using compost as a one source, they're finding out and doing all these studies that compost actually pulls the carbon and the greenhouse gases that the plants can use yep. out of the atmosphere and there's a lot of studies going on. So bioremediation of contaminated soils is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, it could actually, and then water use, it could actually reduce the amount of water you have to use to water your garden by 25 to 50%. Exactly. And just keep adding it year after year, but mm -hmm. soil test. Yeah. You know, send those samples off to get tested. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, too much organic matter is a good thing, but too little is, is just as bad. Yeah. So you, you know, one about 5% is usually what, what we say. So mm -hmm. um, healthy soil and, you know, all these good nutrients, adding the organic matter, it's just, there's there's so much. And then there's still so much more that's emerging. Mm -hmm. um, like I said about wetlands, creating yeah. wetlands and helping existing wetlands. Mm -hmm. And uh, even like I said, the new th one of the new ones is bioremediation of contaminated soils. There you brownfields, go. Uh, brownfield projects. Okay. That's, that's another market that you can use with compost. So, you know, educating people on where it is, not just homeowners and, and landscaping centers, but um, state governments as well. I mean, DOT could use it to quickly grow grass on the side of a, a brand new road or an interstate. Yeah, yeah. Instead of, you know, they tried kudzu and, and how did that oh. go? <laughs> Anyone who's not from South Carolina, you can, eat, you can eat kudzu. Anyone who's not from South Carolina, kudzu is a vine that was brought over from Japan. We have many invasive species from Japan. And, uh, and they did this as a... Uh, erosion mitigation in like I think the 50s, 60s, like 70s and it is uh, taken over. What I didn't know about kudzu is it kudzu is it actually doesn't propagate very well on its own. So the kudzu we see was purposely put there by SCDOT. Yeah, and you can eat it, but I mean, you know, let's not bring invasives in. Why don't we talk? Why don't we do something different and do compost? Um, but yeah, no, the, as part of the, you know, world, world challenges, um, they say by 2050, the UN actually predicts that you know, the world population will hit about, what, 9 billion people mm. um, or more, and then food security becomes a big issue. Mm -hmm. um, uh, worldwide agriculture is actually 38% land, land use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 40, next 40 years or so, you know, you would have had to produce, all these farmers would have had to produce more than they have in the last 10,000 years uh -huh. just to keep up with feeding those people. Um, so there are local and, and national and even regional things um, 
for instance, like the USDA survey from 2015 said U.S. farms sold X number of dollars in edible food directly to consumers. And at the same time, you know, you see regionally the Southeast, Northeast, you know, and their sales numbers, it, it varies from place to place to place. But, you know, 80% grew vegetables, herbs, and fruits. 22% grew flowers. 37% raised livestock. 8% grew row crops and 9% grew nursery crops. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when these farmers can't use the soil? Right, yeah, because we're just, because the way we farm right now is a degenerative style of farming instead of a regenerative exactly. star. And regeneration, 100%, yeah, starts with, with putting it back, at, putting the nutrients back it's into just, the soil, right? So many different uses of compost and it, it could help in so many different aspects worldwide. It's just, it's an amazing feeling to know that you're doing something that not only helps the local economy mm-hmm. and you take that food food waste stream out of the landfill, but you're contributing to something that helps the s- sustainable future mm-hmm. of our planet. Yeah. And, and how many resources, you know, get tied up or, or get recirculated. And, you know, it's just such a privilege to be a part of it you know <laughs> I absolutely love it it's just like I'm part of some I'm small yeah I'm one person but you know what we do can have lasting effects years and generations down the road and not just here in South Carolina but globally even mm-hmm. you know pull the carbon out of the atmosphere and pull the food out of the landfill and yeah you know reduce those greenhouse gases so it's it's very humbling to me to uh, be doing what I do and mm-hmm. it frustrates me at the same time that it's like all right we need to get this we need to get this legislation or not even laws really but we need to educate let the people know hey we can do this yeah so I mean it's just it's something I, I, I can geek out and nerd out on it all day <laughs> long it's just um, it's something I'm very super proud to be a part of and I couldn't do it without you know resoil you know and and Smart Recycling, our, our parent company, and definitely without you know, the people that help me day in and day out via mm-hmm. text message or email and, mm-hmm. um, and the U.S. Composting Council. So, uh, great organization. They have great, they, even for the consumer, they have, mm-hmm. go to their website, they have awesome information for consumers. We're, they even have a compost uh, map mm-hmm. where you can buy uh, STA certified compost, and they have a consumer use program. So um, they have a lot of resources available to you know, the individual or the homeowner, as mm-hmm. well as the uh, landscapers and, and all the other potential uses of compost there you go. business streams. So. Well, I think that's definitely come full circle and a great way for us to wrap it up. Um, how would you like, uh, if anyone wants to follow you and support Resoil or composting in general, can you give us some resources either online or otherwise that they can find you on? Well, find us specifically. We are on Facebook mm-hmm. at Resoil Compost mm-hmm. um, and uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. I believe it's just Resoil Compost. I, I didn't write that one down. <laughs> uh, uh, Megan helps me out a lot with the uh, the Instagram stuff, and I do more of the Facebook side. But uh-huh. Facebook and Instagram, and our website is resoil www.resoil.us, uh-huh. where you'll find. Um, our toll-free number uh-huh. and uh, the, the main email address, the info at resoil.us. You mm-hmm. can send send a message. It comes directly to me. And um, if I don't know how to answer your question or 
get your needs met mm -hmm. I'll send you at least research it and find out where I can get your needs met mm -hmm. and uh, uh, find the information that you're requesting so mm -hmm. Facebook Instagram our website mm -hmm. um, even Google business mm -hmm. um, just anything it just call us up even yeah. hemp oh hemp that's another huge market yeah hemp, hemp market yeah and South Carolina is getting that going so there's a lot of exciting things in in the world of composting and if you have any ideas or or want to help support it sign up and and you know follow us and and get in touch with us if you have any ideas or know how to help or or uh, you know talk to businesses and mm -hmm. find out and then of course you know the composting council website I believe it's compost count, compostingcouncil.org, mm -hmm. or you could, you know, do a search for U.S. Composting Council based out of Raleigh. Mm -hmm. um, they are a, a huge resource, and it's just their website has a lot of information okay. from business to consumer. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. I'm also, we talked about legislation. I do know that um, Senator Vincent Shaheen, who's a South Carolina senator, is mm -hmm. putting something forward in the legislation to get DHEC to do a, um, to look into what it would take to make composting mm -hmm. part of our waste management cycle. So I'll look up that House bill because it has been mentioned in previous interviews. Yeah, I just got one from the North Carolina example that okay. they are uh, proposing in their legislation. Um, I was actually I had the privilege privilege of standing in or listening in on the uh, composting council's legislative environmental affairs committee meeting, and uh, one of the gentlemen from North Carolina actually shared that bill with me, and I've been reading through it here lately. Um, again, with intention of starting a, a, our own chapter and and trying to get people in our state house to uh, yeah. try and you know get those legislation similar. Not you know, I mean you don't have to be the same, but Again, looking at different state models. but Well, my thing as well is like, you know, it's all this stuff takes time. If we're not talking oh, yes. about it now, I mean, it's it, it's just decades and decades and decades away. So even I think the, the House doesn't help. Exactly. And so even the, the, the bill that I believe is being put forward by Senator Shaheen says to have research completed by 2030 so that's that's 10 years from now and yeah. so i think we all need to be galvanized 2050 seem to be the dates yeah. that federally um mm -hmm. everybody's trying to i mean i know california is going to have it done a lot sooner than uh -huh. but there are goals of 2030 and 2050 mm -hmm. even 2020 2030 2040 50 so on and so forth um to reduce the amount of food waste uh -huh. and uh there's there's a lot on the i mean composting council website even has some i believe but the number one thing is to increase the awareness the mm -hmm. economic impact the environmental impact the social impacts that wasted food has mm -hmm. according to the epa it's the number one thrown away thing mm -hmm. uh wrapping up you know inspire people individuals communities businesses organizations schools colleges it's endless educate them about composting uh little tidbit here throwing away one egg actually wastes 55 gallons of fresh water oh how can you throw away an egg Dehack. don't waste food yeah I got that from you know and they got it from savethefood.com mm -hmm. 1400 jobs are created for every 1 million tons of material composted there you go according to the department of commerce yeah so there's just you know and then the average family of four spends average 1800 dollars a year on wasted food yeah so i mean there's so many positive reasons to to get into this and there's so many resources just by reaching out and talking about it it's what i'm hopefully 
taking care of here with you. Yeah, well, I appreciate it so much, Chris. Oh, no. Oh, so is, yeah, we could talk for hours. I know we can. But <laughs> yeah, if you have time, but, 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 yes, um, to find out more, we have the website. You exactly. can email me, even if it's something you think is silly. Just, yeah. Yeah, and if we, if we have some movement in South Carolina and, and business is, is picking up and we get some momentum, we'd love to have you back on the show to talk about, you know, where we are now and then, we, you know, where we are in our future. You know, reaches out to you, send them my way or I'll send them yours. It sounds good. Thank you so much, Chris. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Who's ready to jump on the composting bandwagon? Be sure to check out all the links included in our show notes to find out more. If you enjoyed this content, please be sure to share it with your friends, take a screenshot and add it to your stories, follow us on Facebook and share our posts and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see our smiling faces. Be sure to tag us in your posts. Even better, if you'd like to support the Eco Interviews project of sharing stories of people making positive changes for the planet and humanity, donate on Patreon. You can find a link by going to www www.eco-interviews.com and clicking on the podcast in the main menu.